Please uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Um, we've been doing a series on the, we're just calling it the gifts of Christmas, as we have um, kind of been moving from the outside more toward the center. We've looked at how the, the, the wise men, they gave gold and frankincense and myrrh, and then you get to the shepherds, and we really see them giving their hearts over uh, to this whole event of the birth of Jesus. Last week we looked at Joseph. He gave, um, well, he, he really laid aside his sense of dignity and his honor in the eyes of other people in order to, um, to, to bless Mary and the, the baby she was carrying. And now we get to Mary. Uh, and, and as we've been progressing, we're kind of moving more and more um, into gifts that are harder to give, perhaps. Maybe more costly gifts, more, certainly more personal gifts. And so when we get to Mary, we see how she really gives, she gives her body. That's her Christmas present. That's her gift to the Lord. She gives her body. Let's stand in honor of God's word. And I'm going to begin in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father, would you bless your word? May it be to us according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Um, my goal is really just to focus on a, a couple of the statements that Mary said. In verse 34, she asks, well, how will this be? Trying to understand further the, the nature of the revelation she was receiving. And then in verse 38, we get her reaction. Once she's connected all the dots, basically her posture is, look, I am the servant of the Lord and let it be to me according to your word. So let's talk about her initial reaction, like how is this going to happen? What, how does this work exactly? 
And in verse 31, you get fundamentally the, the announcement, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And then Gabriel adds uh, further explanations of who the son would be. So here's, you know, you're going to conceive in your womb, and then boom, 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 all of these descriptions of who her son would be. So if, if you're following along, look at verse 31 and verse 32, um, that he will, you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And we know from the account in Matthew where presumably it's Gabriel again, but um, the angel tells Joseph, name your son Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus is a, is a name that, is, um, that has a lot of meaning and is, is a way to describe who her son would be. And in verse 32, you, you, the angel keeps adding, he will be great. He will be great. Who doesn't want greatness for your, your children? Um, and he will be called the son of the most high. And now the stakes are really starting to, to get higher and higher. Like, well, there's a difference between not wanting, you know, my child's life to just be kind of wasted or ordinary. Between that and your child will be called the son of the most high. Now we're getting into a whole different category of explanations. Furthermore, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Royalty now. Okay. And then verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Um, and who really knows how Mary was, um, was understanding those things. Uh, what, I th what I think we can be sure of is that Mary, because she's devout, because she's considered righteous, she, she grew up in synagogue. You know, she heard the prophets, she heard the law, being taught, she would have been familiar with the promises of the Davidic covenant, the, the, the promises that God gave to King David through the prophet Nathan. And you can read about that prophecy, basically, in 2 Samuel. Um, look it up later, chapter 6, but you'll hear things, I'm sorry, it's actually chapter 7, you'll hear things like this, I will make for you, for you a great name. So again, this is the prophet Nathan speaking to King David, telling David about God's promises to him. God says, I will make for you a great name. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so Mary, you've got to be assuming, is hearing these things and going, well, that, that sounds a lot like the, the promises made to King David. But, but that's, not, that's not what Mary asks for clarification about. What I love is, is her response. In verse 34, Mary said to the angel, well, what she doesn't say to the angel is, tell me more about my son. 
Tell me more about his identity. Tell me more about the promises that are going to be fulfilled through him. Instead, what she says is, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Because Mary can't get past the very first thing that the angel said to her, you will conceive in your womb and have a son. And it's almost a little bit funny to me. It's sort of comical because Mary can't get over the very first thing, as wonderful and as glorious and as amazing as the rest of the promises were about who her son was. Um, she is saying, now, can we go back to that part about my womb? Can, can we go back to that part about my body? Can you repeat that? Tell me more about how I'm involved in this. And the angel of course, does exactly that. In verse 35, the angel explains, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. As we say in our creed, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And Mary gets this sign similar to how um, through the prophet Isaiah there was a sign given that the Virgin will be with child and you shall call him Emmanuel. And in the same sense, Mary gets a sign that the barren woman, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, the barren woman in her, in her old age will conceive and give birth to a child, and you will call his name John. Um, so she gets a sign. And, and so the, the angel is very you know, patient, very understanding. Yeah, this is a lot, this is a lot to take in um, for a young girl. And, uh, and what, I, what I love is that this, this is physical. It's, 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 it's bodily. She understands what's going on. She understands what's, what's taking place here. Um, people, it's, it's not uncommon, and maybe you've wondered, maybe you've been in these conversations, but certainly all of us have probably overheard at least one or two conversations about people saying, you know, I wonder what Jesus actually looked like. Right? Have you ever just thought, well, is he tall? Was he short? Was he, you know, easy on the eyes? Or was he kind of not much to look at? You know, was he strong? Was he skinny? Was he, you know, brown eyes or blue eyes? Was, was, he, uh, was he white <laughs> or was he black? I mean, you know how there's sort of this debate about how do you portray Jesus? What, is he, what did he look like? Well, you and I know exactly what he looked like. He looked like his mom. He looked like Mary. Because physically, he was her son. He, of course, is the son of the Most High God, no doubt. But through the mystery of the Incarnation, the Holy Spirit conceived in a human person the Divine Son. And he became the human son of Mary. Um, Don't miss that. Don't miss the the physicality of this, the the material nature of the incarnation. It's really, really important. Now, Mary's reaction is simply, uh, it's twofold. First of all, she says, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Mary very quickly and, and readily offers her body to the Lord for the Lord's purposes. And uh, to paraphrase the, the prayer we say every week, um, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mary's prayer was this, you know, thy kingdom come and thy will be done in my body, in my body, 
as it is in heaven. And so when we think about Mary's gift, what did she give at Christmas? Mary gave her body. The most personal, the most intimate thing that she could give. What is the Lord asking of us? What is the Lord's purpose for your body, your physical body? Does he have a plan for you? Does he care what you and I do with our bodies? And the answer is absolutely yes. God cares about everybody on this planet, right? Everybody. And he cares about every body on this earth. The incarnation is the evidence of that. Um, sometimes we get in, in a little bit of, um, of a strange place as, as Christians uh, who think that, well, the, the real mature way to express our faith is to be concerned for the soul, you know, that Christianity is about, you know, getting ready to go to heaven when we die, and our bodies go in the grave, and our souls, you know, we're, we're going to go to heaven, and and that becomes sort of, all, to a fault, our exclusive focus because Christianity is unique among the religions of the world in that we aren't just about the spirit, like Eastern religions, you know, who think that the body is bad. Um, you know, or, uh, for instance, Islam, that God is strictly, absolutely spirit, and to say otherwise is blasphemy. Instead, we have a God who comes to us and adopts physicality, takes on our flesh, tabernacles among us, um, and we're not to miss the importance of that, that, that ultimately our hope is not to be disembodied souls, you know, floating around in heaven for eternity, but for heaven and earth to be reunited and for our bodies and souls to be reunited, to be gloriously reunited and to spend an eternity as God intended us, body and soul, together. God cares about everybody and every body. Um, so implications. Mary's prayer is, I am the Lord's servant. You know, she says yes to, to the Lord. Um, contrast that with the, the, the spirit of our age and the culture that we live in where you see bumper stickers that say things like, keep your laws off my body. My body is mine. My body is personal. I have a choice with what to do with my body, and it's my body, and nobody can, you know, tell me otherwise or dictate what I do, et cetera. And, well, there's, there's two things that need to be kind of taken to their logical conclusion if, if you're a person of faith. If you're here and you're trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus, and I'm not sure what, what I am or who I am, you know, and you're searching good. I, I, I want you to understand kind of where we're at, where we're coming from biblically as, as Christians who are following Jesus. Yes, your body is yours, but it's not exclusively yours. You are a, a steward or a manager of what God has given you, so am I. The body that I have, the body that you have is on loan to you. And fundamentally, it belongs to God. It's not yours exclusively. It's a gift to you. Your body is God's gift to you, and he blesses you with physicality. Um, and so when we think about my body, it's, we have to qualify that with little asterisks, you know, at the, at the word my. It's not mine entirely or exclusively. It belongs ultimately to the Lord. 
and everything I have is from him and everything's going to go back to him. So, so keep that in mind. God actually does have a right to tell me and you what to do with what he gave us. And secondly, God gave us also accountability and freedom and responsibility to choose what we're going to do um, with our body. So it's entirely possible that Mary, um, when Gabriel came to her, could have reacted 180 degrees in the opposite direction to, to what we see was her actual reaction. I'm the Lord's servant. You know, this is good, this is good. Uh, and I'm, I'm on board with this. Instead, she could have said, uh, no, thank you, keep your, keep your miracles off of my body. You know, that is her choice. Absolutely can, can make that choice, and we would have had an incredibly different, you know, nativity a, a account. But just because we have a choice doesn't mean that every choice that we make um, is, is, a valid, is a valid end, is, is the valid option to, to choose. Because, yeah, we're given freedom, but we're also given accountability. And just like for everything else in our lives, um, we're, we're going to answer for what did we do with our time? What did we do with our money? What did we do with our mind? What did we do with our body while God gave us life on this planet? So for Mary, her posture was, I'm the servant of the Lord. Behold, I, I am going to do what God asks me to do. Um, and then she goes on to say, let it be to me according to your word. Um, I like how Elizabeth um, Elliot put it. Um, she was a, uh, a, a missionary's wife and a, a writer and a speaker, a very you know, godly woman. And uh, one of her expressions was this, discipline, or you can think of it as discipleship, for the Christian Discipline for the Christian begins with the body. We cannot give our hearts to God and keep our bodies to ourselves, right? Um, because that's, again, kind of going back into that false idea of, of spirituality that Christianity is only about the soul. You can't give your heart to God and, and, and keep your body for yourself. Um, and so that's why Mary actually does, says more than just yes, but she affirms and says, let it be to me according to your word, um, the word of God. He actually does tell us what his purposes are for our bodies. He doesn't tell us everything, and some things, you know, we're left to be responsible, accountable agents for and draw some good conclusions, but he does give us some good, um, a good head start out of the gate. For instance... 1 Corinthians 6, uh, this is Paul, and he's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, do you not know that your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You know, this is something you, you should know already, but if you don't and you need a reminder, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So glorify God in your body. That's, that's you know, for Mary to say, let it be, according, let it be to me according to your word. Uh, for us to say that, to agree with Mary, let it be to me according to your word, we would be saying amen to 1 Corinthians 6. Glorify God in your body. You're not your own. Your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. So what, how do we then, therefore, you know, live in 
coordination with that? How can we have coordinated bodies that aren't you know, tripping up and making a mess of things? Well, let's start with how does God want you to view your body? How does God want you to, to view your body? We tend to idealize certain body types, body forms, um, and we end up just kind of following whatever the current cultural value um, is or was. Back in certain historical periods, you look at all the paintings and all, all the, you know, the people are, are heavier and they valued that and they thought that was the pinnacle of beauty. And, you know, you open up fashion magazines today and you think, you know, an anorexic is um, somebody who's, you know, the ideal. So our, our culture's messed up. Um, we idealize one particular form. How does, does that, does that jive with how Jesus would view your body? Because as the creator, we, what we can see around us is that he seems to create bodies in all different kinds of shapes and sizes and colors and, you know, um, and, and for that matter, from that observation alone, you can kind of conclude that he seems to appreciate the variety, that there's not one thing that he prizes more than another when it comes to, you know, your own body versus somebody else's body. And if there's any, you know, our failure uh, to see the beauty, uh, the, the, the admirable quality in somebody else's body, our failure to recognize that has more to do with the actual distortion in our own soul than any perceived distortion in somebody else's body. Do you get that? Like, God made your body. It's a good body. Yeah, we understand that sin does things to our bodies and our bodies break down and they're, they're, they're starting to wrinkle and they're starting to get a little bit slower and, and, uh, and we have to acknowledge that too. But fundamentally, the body you have is God's gift to you. He likes it. How does, when you look in the mirror, what do you, what do you see? What do you, what do you think? What do you feel when you look in the mirror? Um, I think it would go without saying that for the most part, a lot of us are struggling to feel pretty good about what we see. Instead, we focus on what's negative. Um, we focus on what we lack, what we wish we had. Um, but I want to ask you something. If there are mirrors in heaven, if there are mirrors in the new creation, maybe uh, possibly if we're freed from, from our vanity, mirrors would be, you know, purposelessness, uh, purpose, without purpose, so we wouldn't need them. But if they are there, what would you see for an eternity when you look in the mirror in glory? You would see something very, very good, something glorious even. So however you view your body today, um, consider the fact that what's more important is not what you think and what you feel about your body, but what God thinks and what God feels about your body. And can we get our hearts and our thinking aligned with God's heart and his thinking? Uh, because that's also going to affect how we want others to view our bodies. And um, there's, th this gets a little bit trickier, and there are some, some continuums here, and I'll just put two of them out there for you to think about and, and reflect on. But um, the emphasis seems to be, uh, at least culturally and at least um, in, in what's put before us as something we should be aspiring to, is to be as, as strong and as uh, sexy as we can possibly be. 
Um, and I think there's a, a, a positive thing to wanting to, to valuing beauty, to valuing um, you know, strength, to valuing attractiveness, but you're, it, you're, you're not too far along the continuum before you get into the, the muddy waters of sexualness, you know, trying to be sexy, trying to elicit a sexual response from somebody else when they view your body. So you've got to figure out, you know, what's your motive? How do you want people to view you? What are you trying to communicate to other people when they look at your body? Now, the opposite's also true, because for some people, um, you know, they're, they're thinking, all right, part of the Christian ethos is modesty, and that's a good thing. Uh, but they're wrestling with the murky waters and the muddy continuum of kind of moving so far over here that um, what they're portraying and what they actually are, are um, conveying to other people when they view their bodies is not modesty, but, you know, uh, frumpiness, I don't know, where you don't really care about your body, uh, and you don't value it as something that God gave to you. So whatever you decorate your body with, however you present your body, however you want people to view your body, it's a very spiritual thing, and it ties right into the gospel, the gospel of God's goodness to you, the gospel of Christ incarnating our own bodies and so let's think also about how we, God wants us to treat our bodies. In accordance with his word, to glorify God in our body, then that means we ought to find balance and pursue uh, what's healthy when it comes to the things we put in our bodies, whatever we eat, whatever we drink. Um, we talk about you know, abusing food or abusing alcohol, but the truth is that when you abuse food or when you abuse alcohol, what you're really abusing is your body. You're really abusing what God gave to you. Um, when you don't exercise, when you don't sleep, and you don't pay attention to those things, you're, you're not taking care of what God gave to you as a stewardship. That actually is important. Uh, and lastly, I don't think, we, I, I wouldn't feel right about addressing the body in this, uh, in, in this message without talking about what's probably most obvious, that God wants you to use your body properly when it comes to your sexuality. How does God want you to use your body sexually? Well, in accordance with his word. Uh, that passage in 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul says, so glorify God in your body, he also says this, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. All right, so just plain and simple, the body is not meant for, literally the word is porneia, where we get our word pornography. So the, the Bible's not meant for sexual immorality, things that are improper um, in a, sexually that aren't licensed, that aren't blessed by God when he unites a man and a woman as husband and wife. And one of the reasons why sex is so powerful and so wonderful and so transcendent is because it tells a story. It's a parable. It's a parable using bodies to describe something incomprehensible to us, and we get, a, we get a hint of it through the math, just the simple arithmetic, when the Bible describes how a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So here's the arithmetic, the gospel arithmetic. One husband plus one wife equals one flesh. That doesn't immediately make sense to us because it's mysterious, deliberately so, because it's a parable, deliberately so, of the intimacy and the completeness of the union that God would have with his people. 
that union that we're looking forward to in heaven and earth, where nothing will separate us from the love of God, that the, the, the physical union between two bodies, is all that is is just a parable. It doesn't even actually come close to the reality. It's powerful. And therefore, it's holy. And therefore, you know, Paul doesn't leave it, by the way, with the body is not meant for sexual immorality. And that's the stereotype that Christians are always telling us what not to do, what, how not to act, you know, what how not to have fun. Um, but instead, Paul doesn't leave it there. He goes on to say, the body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. Your body has a very holy, purposeful, good, you know, um, destiny. It's to be joined to God. And so that's why we keep sex holy. That's why we respect marriage. And, and that's why, you know, we think, that there is some right things to do and some wrong things to do with your body. At the end of the day, um, Mary, who says, may it be to me as the Lord, you know, according to his word, I'm the servant of the Lord, she's pointing to something greater. She's pointing to this, um, this again, kind of going back to the mystery of the incarnation, where we value not only the soul but the body because both are absolutely vital to the gospel. Um, Lauren Winner uh, wrote a book called Real Sex, The Naked Truth About Chastity. It's um, an excellent book um, that I recommended it before, especially if you have teenagers or if you're a college student, you're trying to figure out sex and sexuality as a Christian. You're trying to walk that out as a disciple. Um, I would definitely recommend this book. But it's, there's a reason for it theological, gospel reason for it. Listen to what she says. Bodies are central to the Christian story. Creation inaugurates bodies that are good, but the consequences of the fall are written on our bodies. Our bodies will sweat as we labor in the fields. Our bodies will hurt as we bear children. And most certainly, our bodies, our bodies will die. If the fall is written on the body, salvation happens in the body too. The kingdom of God is transmitted through Jesus' body and is sustained in the Christ's body, the church, through the bodily suffering of Christ on the cross and the bodily resurrection of Christ from the dead. We are saved. Bodies are who we are and where we live. They are not just things God created us with, but the means of knowing him and abiding with him. So we talked about Mary and her gift, her Christmas gift. She gave her body the most personal thing that she could offer to the Lord. And 33 years later, her son would do the same thing. And he would give his body, he would offer his body back to his mom to Joseph, to the disciples, to the world, to you and to me, when he says, this is my body. And it's given for you. Jesus gave you his body. And it's absolutely essential that he did that. There would be no salvation for us without the body of Jesus I don't know if you've ever thought of this. But there would be no salvation for us if, if we didn't 
bring our bodies to Jesus. Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you. Can we say the same thing? Is that our prayer too? God, this is my body, which is for you. You can't give God your heart and keep your body for yourself. That's what it means to follow him, to say yes to him, to give him everything. Your whole body, soul, mind, spirit, everything. Jesus is the true servant. Mary saw herself as a servant. Jesus gave his body, when, and we read back in Isaiah how I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard and I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Three chapters later, we read how he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. Jesus gave his face, his beard, his back, his hands, his feet, his side, his entire body. This is my body, which is for you. Um, When Mary said yes to the angel for nine more months, she literally carried another person around for nine months. That's what moms do. It's amazing. And the birth was... It was, it was messy, um, it was painful, it was bloody. But the result of that was life, the, the birth of Jesus. Jesus gave his body too, and he carried our burden, our bodily burden of sin. Sins done in our body was, it was applied to him, burdened on him. He took them with him to the cross, and he died on the cross, it was a messy, painful, bloody experience. And the result was life for all who trust in him. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to recognize that um, you didn't just come for disembodied souls, but you came uh, to redeem all of us in our entirety, our body and our soul. And we thank you that you would give something so personal, that you would give your back to be lashed, and that you would give your hands and feet to be pierced, that you would do that for us. Something far greater than what a mother says yes to when she agrees to to carry a child. So Lord, would you help our response to your grace Um, be the same, that this is our body, this is my body, which is for you, and may we walk out our devotion to you as faithful disciples. Lord, would you get glory as we continue to worship through the tithes and offerings in your table, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.